Welcome to the Great Detectives of Old Time Radio. From Boise, Idaho, this is your host, Adam Graham. If you have a comment, email it to me. Box13 at greatdetectives.net. Follow us on Twitter at Radio Detectives and become one of our friends on Facebook, facebook.com slash radiodetectives. Check us out on Instagram, instagram.com slash greatdetectives. Today's program is brought to you in part by the financial support of our listeners. You can support the show on a one-time basis by mailing a donation to Adam Graham, P.O. Box 15913, Boise, Idaho, 83715. And I want to thank David and Tracy for supporting the program that way. You can also become one of our ongoing Patreon supporters for as little as $2 per month. Go to patreon.greatdetectives.net. And thank you to our latest Patreon supporters, Candace and Michael, each coming on at the Detective Sergeant level, uh, $7.14 or more per month. Again, thanks so much for your support. Well, now it is time for this week's episode of Casey Crime Photographer, the original air date, February 12th, 1948, and the title is Key Witness. The Anchor Hawking Glass Corporation brings you Crime Photographer. The Valentines are coming in already. And here's one addressed to man's best friend. Well, that must be for you, Ethelbert. And here's one addressed to a great snooper. Ah, and that must be for you, Casey. Hmm. And here's one addressed to the most famous announcer, the man you can always count on. I wonder who that could be. I wonder how I wonder. Oh, I get it. They mean you can always count on me to say, Anchor Hawking, the most famous name... In glass. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. This is Tony Marvin. Every week at this time, the Anchor Hawking Glass Corporation of Lancaster, Ohio, and its more than 10,000 employees bring you another adventure of Casey, crime photographer ace cameraman who covers the crime news of a great city. Our adventure for tonight, Key Witness. Night, and a most unpleasant night. Dark, windy, damply cold. Snow is falling, the kind of snow that turns to wet gray slush as it strikes the ground, and then in spots turns to a treacherous film of ice. On an almost deserted highway, far out on the city's fringes, a car moves cautiously over the slippery pavement. In the car... Oh, had to be our luck to draw an out-of-town assignment on a day like this, Casey. Yeah, day part of it wasn't so bad as just coming back at night. Not familiar enough with this road. I can't see. Well, Casey, there's a big electric sign just ahead. I think it's on a roadhouse. If it is, let's pull up and have oh, a cup of coffee. Oh, we certainly will. A warmer upper is something both of us need. I can make out the sign now. Five Spot Cafe. That's for us. That's Five for us. Spot Cafe. Geez, I've heard of the place. Yeah, the name's kind of familiar to me too, but I can't remember. I guess we drive in here, huh? Yeah. 
Yeah, there's a big parking spot. Yeah. Good spot for our bus right here. About as near as we can get to the main door, I guess. Well, I'll come around and help you out, Annie. Oh, don't bother. I can make it. You have cameras inside. Don't forget to lock up. Yeah, I won't. Casey, doesn't huh? some racketeer run a place like the Five Spot? Hey, wait a minute. That's right, kid. You've got it. This is Shark Yardley's headquarters. I've known the rat for years. Never been out to this joint, though. Well, I've never heard of him selling poison food, so I guess this place is as good as any other on a night like this. All right, we're all locked up. Come on. Uh-oh, electric signs just went out. Oh, nuts. It's the only light we had out here, too. I can't see ten feet in front of me. Now, wait a minute, I got a pencil flashlight in the inside pocket. Stand back in the car, Annie, out of the wind while I dig it out. Yeah. Careful with him, Pete. How about being careful? Which is our car? I can't yeah, see. Yeah, I, I know where it is. Let's get a minute and get going. All right. Someone else is having a little trouble in the dark, Daisy. <laughs> More than we're having. You see that drunk those two guys had between them? They passed close enough for that. He could hardly stand. They were practically dragging him along. Mm. Well, he wanted to take the pledge tomorrow. Where is that darn flashlight, anyway? <laughs> I found it here. Car's pulling out. Guess they got the drunk inside, okay? Yeah. Oh, nuts. Now it doesn't work. Try the flashlight? Yeah, the battery must be dead. Oh, again. we don't need it now. Signs come on again. That's yeah, a break. All right, come on, let's get into that cafe. Yeah, I hope there's plenty of heat in there and chill through. Hey, wait a second. What? Kicked something in this slush here. Huh? Oh, here it is. Uh, hotel key. At least it has a hotel tag attached to it. Yeah, wait, let me wipe some of this muck off it. Harwell Hotel, room 1118. Maybe one of those men dropped it or were taking the drunk home. Eh, if the drunk dropped it, they're going to have some extra trouble taking him home unless they know his hotel and room number. <laughs> He'll never be able to tell him. Uh-uh. Well, I'll stick the key in my pocket and turn it over to somebody inside the joint here. Maybe inquiries for it. Let me help you on these steps, Annie. They're pretty slippery. Yeah, thanks. Oh, boy, it's going oh, to get inside. The dining room's pretty crowded, Annie. Let's look in the bar. No customers in there. We'll get quicker service. We'll get the bartender to bring us coffee and sandwiches. Huh? Okay. Good evening. Well, it's really a very lousy evening, bartender. Absolutely. Tell me. You uh, just drove up here? Yeah, give me a menu, will you? Okay. Yeah. Casey, where'd you get that blood on your hand? Huh? Blood? Yeah, look. Yeah, I see. Cut yourself, mister? Well, not that I know of. Annie. Hotel key, I found. I thought it was simply wet with slush and snow. But look at it under these bright lights. The tag is streaked with blood. Hey, you... Yeah. Found that key, mister? Yeah, the room 1118, Harwell Hotel. Well, give me it. Somebody might come and ask you for it. I didn't say I found it anywhere near here, did I? Uh, no, 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 you didn't. Uh, excuse me a minute, will you? Hmm? Casey, how did fresh blood get on that key? I don't know, Annie. I don't know why that bartender showed such an interest in it, either. I do know this joint belongs to Shark Yardley, who's made quite a few guys bleed plenty. The bartender just went into that back room. Yeah. Annie, I got a hunch we'd better get out of this place. So have I. Okay, come on. Uh-oh. Call the door of the back room. Just... Yardley, one of his rodmen. Well, if it isn't my old friend Casey. Hello, Shark. Well, I never hoped to see you in this little joint of mine. You fell off the beat. Right. Oh, we newspaper guys get around. Yeah. So I've heard. But I want you and the lady to have a drink with me. In my private office. Oh, thanks, Shark, but we're in a hurry. But I must insist you step into my private office. I want to talk privately to you. I a key. I think I see the outline of a gun in your pocket. Casey, 
Shall we go to my office? All right, come on, Annie. Thank you. And be very quiet. The guests in my dining room I wouldn't want to stir. Just come right in. Now, sit down, lady. This chair is the most comfortable. It looks comfortable. Now, before I ask my friend Casey to sit down, risk him, Nick. Okay, boy. I don't carry a gat shark. Guns aren't part of my racket. Oh, I believe that, Casey. But I like to be sure. He's clean, boss. There's the key that was in his pocket. Where did you get this key, Casey? You undoubtedly know that I picked it up in your parking lot. You mind telling me why it's so important to you? You no idea? No. Who's a dumbbell? Because I don't believe you're a dumbbell, I'm keeping you here for a while. I'm leaving Nick here to watch you while I join my guests in the dining room. How long are you going to keep us here? We'll discuss that when I come back, lady. Now I must return to the cafe. As you see, I have reason to wish that my guests see a lot of me this evening. Make Casey and the lady comfortable, Nick. I'll take care of them, boss. Now, uh, excuse me, won't you? Looks as though we've walked into something, Casey. Let's say we have, Annie, and without our galoshes on. Yeah, and you ain't walking out of it, neither. Shark told you to make us comfortable, Nick. That's not the way to do it. Oh, thanks for reminding me. Sit down and take a load off your feet. I'd rather stand. Uh, Sit down about blast well, you. since you put it so nicely, I will. What made the electric sign on this joint go out a while ago, Nick? Huh? Oh, did the sign go out? Yeah, yeah, just long enough for two guys who were propping up a third guy to get him into a car and drive away. You saw them guys, huh? Well, I think your boss figures we did. Third guy wasn't just drunk, was he? Casey, that, that Sure, Annie, yes. The third guy dying, Nick, are already dead. I ain't here to answer questions. Maybe the boss will before you leave us. I, I wish you wouldn't talk like that. <laughs> Can't take it, huh? Well, I, I... It isn't easy to take, you know. <clears throat> the shark said he'd stand us a drink when he brought us in here. I see a bottle on his desk there. Hundred proof, too. Do you mind? Keep or... your mitts off that bottle. Listen, look, the least you can do is let a guy have a drink. I, I, I need it, fella. <laughs> to buck you up, wise guy? Brace you for what's coming? Well, put it that way if you want to. Look, can I have a shot? Huh? Okay. Oh, thanks. Babe, wait a minute. Huh? What? Tilt that bottle slow and easy into one of them glasses. If you try to lift the bottle or throw it, I'll plug you before it leaves your hand. I won't take any chances like that with you, Nick. Suits you all right? So far. Now put the bottle down. Yeah, just as you say. <laughs> you poured a stiff one for yourself, didn't you? Yeah, I, I need it. Well, ain't you offering the lady none? I don't want anything to drink. I don't want anything to drink. Oh. He threw that whiskey in his eyes, Casey. That's right, a hundred-proof stuff, too. All right, I'm not getting cold, Annie. I got his gun. <coughs> Give it to me. Here. Tap him gently on the head with it so you'll stay out till we make our getaway. That'll do it. We can't go out this door through the bar. Come on, there's a window here. Only a short drop to the ground. Come on, you first. Okay. All right? Yeah, all right. Come on. Right with you. Now, let's get to our car, the nearest police station. Did you have to throw a half tumbler of that good whiskey in the guy's eyes, Casey? Well, it was worth it, Ethelbert. I'll say. Well, what happened after you made your escape from that joint last night? Twenty minutes later, we were back at the Five Spot Cafe with a carload of coffee. Yeah, but Shark Yardley and his gorillas were gone, of course. Hmm. 
How you figure blood got on that key you found? The body of Chuck Trumbull was found in a vacant lot way over on the south side this morning. Chuck Trumbull? He's the character who's been trying to bust in on Shark Yardley's racket. Uh-huh. Shark paid him off last night. Trumbull was stabbed to death with his own knife. The police found it sticking in his body. And Trumbull lived in room 1118 of the Harwell Hotel. Eh? Well, then that key you found... Well, when right. Yardley learned that we had the key with the blood on it, he knew it would put him on the spot for Trumbull's murder. And as he'd planned the murder, there was to be no evidence that Trumbull had been anywhere near the Five Spot Cafe. In fact, Shark Yardley's alibi would be that he was at the Five Spot when Trumbull was killed someplace else. Yeah, but that key to Trumbull's hotel room found in Shark's parking lot was proof he'd been there. Yeah, that's it. And when Yardley's brought to trial, Casey's testimony and mine about that key will send him to the chair. Hmm. The cops ain't caught up with the shark yet? No, but they will. Hmm. Until they do, I'd be pretty worried if I was you. Worried? The shark's a bad baby, Casey. This Trumbull ain't the first guy he suspected of bumping off. No. Cops think he got Ed Clive last year. With Clive's own gun. Like you think he carved Trumbull with Trumbull's own knife. There was that uh, gambler a couple years ago, I forget his name. Oh, um, Ernie Hastings. Yeah. And the cops could never prove nothing. What I mean is, Shark Yardley ain't gonna like having a couple of witnesses loose that can finally fry him as he deserves to be fried if they stay loose. I'm not worried about the shark. Be too busy dodging cops to bother Ann and me. Besides, we've been witnesses against his kind of rats before. Well, he, he's a special mean kind of rat, Miss Williams. A special dangerous kind. Look, Annie, it's after midnight. It's time I took you home. Hmm? Yeah, I'm ready to go home. I'm tired. Well, here's what we had, pal. Gee, you're paying for a change. Well, well I always pay. Don't I? Well, eventually. Don't I? Yeah. Good night. Good night, Casey. Good night, Miss Williams. Good night, Ethelbert. Casey, Ethelbert may be right. Stark Yardley might try to put us out of the way. Oh, he and his mob have got to keep themselves undercover, Annie. Yeah, but look, tomorrow morning, I'm going to ask headquarters to put a guard on you for a while. How about you? Oh, I can take care of myself. Well, so can I. Oh, wait a minute. Women are different. Really? I wasn't sure you were aware of that. Huh? What do you mean? I... nothing. Annie, are you getting one of your humors again? It's a woman's privilege to have humors. Oh. I don't like to discuss nothing but the latest crimes and the newspaper business with you all the time and sit around and, and be the same as Ethelbert and Captain Logan. Oh, you couldn't be the same as Ethelbert and Captain Logan. No, not quite, because my hair is longer and I wear skirts. Well, okay. So your hair's longer and you wear skirts. And that's that. That's got to be that. I'm not going to lose a pal. Meaning me. Meaning you. I'm beginning to hate that word, pal. What's the matter with it? I like it. I like what it stands for, too. Come on, the car's across the street. Let's cross over right here. Huh? Okay. <clears throat> now, look, getting back to Shark Yardley. I'm sure there'll be no danger from him for a while, Annie, if ever. Heat's on him heavy, and he's got the lie Hey, that car! Stop, Annie! Not only missed it by hair. If you hadn't pulled me out of the way, the I would... The driver swerved way across the center line. So he was trying to run us down. Then he kept right on going. Yeah, well, I think he did try to run us down, Casey. Huh? Yeah, I got to look at that driver. And I'm sure he was Shark Yardley.
this is the season of buffet suppers and other informal entertaining. Now, when it's necessary to serve an unusually large number of guests, jadeite is the ideal answer. Yes, jadeite. Spelled J-A-D-E-I-T-E, jadeite. The new kind of dinnerware developed by Anchor Hawking. You'll love its delicate jade green color, its fine porcelain-like texture, and you'll be amazed to find that jadeite is as strong and heat-proof as the Fire King oven glass you use for baking. Yet, with all its advantages, jadeite is incredibly low in price. For example, a jadeite cup and saucer costs only 15 cents in open stock, and a complete 35-piece dinner service for six, including cups, saucers, dessert dishes, salad plates, dinner plates, vegetable bowl, platter, and sugar and creamer set is priced at less than $5. Ask for jadeite at chain stores, department stores, hardware stores, and other stores selling chinaware and glass. Jadeite is the newest triumph of Anchor Hawking. The most famous name in glass. argue with me, Casey. Both well, you and Miss Williams get police bodyguards from now on. Well, after what happened half an hour ago, Captain Logan, I'm delighted. Well, I'm not, and I won't stand for it. How could I have one of your cops at my elbow 24 hours a day, Logan? I'd feel like a sap. You'd rather feel like a dead sap who don't feel anything at all? Listen, the driver of that car may not have been shock Oh, yes, Casey. I, I thought... think he was the driver, and I don't think this will be his last attempt to get you. You two are the key witnesses against him, and while he's on the loose, you're on the spot. Well, okay, all right, you... And aside from bodyguards, I'm giving each of you a gun to carry. Now, give one of them to Ann. I'm not looking to gat around. Hey, Casey, please. No, no, no. I don't like this thing. Carry him and it won't shoot. All right, bullhead. Now, look, since I must have bodyguards, give me guys who won't be hard to take, Logan, will you? I mean, preferably bad pinochle players. Now, I'll put Bradley in charge of your guard detail. Does he suit you? Yeah, Brad's okay. <laughs> but will he get worn out following me on assignments? <laughs> Come on, hurry up, Brad. City desk says there's a rest job. We left my car down the street here. Well, where are we going now, Casey? City Hall. An appointment assignment to take pictures of the mayor's newly appointed park commissioner. Hey, uh, you get all the dirty work. <laughs> Who takes all the pictures of those pinup gals I see in the papers? Oh, very old press photographers. <laughs> well, you've been my shadow for five days now, Brad. How do you like it? I'll be glad to get back to the straight detective business. Yeah, say, look, you know, Logan's making saps out of both of us. Shark Yardley hasn't tried anything, and he won't try anything. You're trying to make a hit-and-run morgue case out of you. Yeah. I think Miss Williams only imagined that Shark was in that car. And nothing's happened since. Logan's just wasting your time and the city's money, Brad, and that's a fact. Well, here's the old bus. Get in, get going. Okay. Uh, Casey, huh? don't step on that starter. Huh? Don't touch the starter. We left this car half an hour ago. Its hood was covered with snow. Yeah. Most of the snow's fallen off. Maybe because somebody raised the hood. I'm going to see. Well, why would anybody raise the hood? Uh, somebody did. And put this underneath. What is it, Brad? Look. Attached to your starter. I think it's a little TNT. A uh, bomb, huh? Uh-huh. The old gangster gag. When you started your car, Bluey. Bluey, yeah. Thanks, Brad. <clears throat> Guess maybe Logan was right. 
okay, Logan. All right. I've been the sap and you've been the wise guy. You finally think so. Well, don't rub it in now, pal. Why not? Even after Bradley found that bomb in your car two weeks ago, you gave me an argument. Since then, a forty-five slug's gone through your head and a knife's been thrown at you. I know, I know. But still, you argue. All right. Even with all the luck of the Irish you've got, you should be dead by now. Well, my luck can't last forever again. Plenty jittery right now. Yeah, you? since this morning, after you learned Miss Williams had received a box of candy through the mails, it turned out to be poison. Look, has she been sap enough to eat one of those candies, Logan? Fortunately, I... she wasn't. You'd probably have swallowed a couple. We've got to stop this, you know. We've got to nail this guy, Yardley. How, exactly? You know we've turned this town inside out trying to find him. We've got to make him come to us. That's a beautiful idea. Just what method will you take Wait a to... minute. I think I've figured a method. Yeah? Shark's got a big fat grudge against me, Logan. He's a guy who always settled his grudges in person when he could. Well, I want him to have an opportunity to get into my apartment at night unmolested. What do you mean? I want the guard who watches my fire escape to apparently sneak away from his post every night and do a little guzzling at a bar around the corner. I'd like him to make a special habit of doing it between 2 and 3 a.m., Oh, Shark will be tipped off and pay you a call by way of the fire escape? Right. Well, then what? You've got to take that gun you offered me. Casey, I doubt if you'd shoot a guy even to save your own life. I'll kill Shark Yardley if I have to, but he ought to save me that trouble. You know, crooks and killers usually follow a set pattern. They stick to old habits. I don't get you. Well, I'll explain it later, but right now. You tell my fire escape guard to play hooky between 2 and 3 a.m., or do I get a gun? I'm always a sap for you, pal. All right, I'll instruct the guard. And I'll give you my best gun, a 38 positive and a 45. Uh, no, no, I don't want a revolver. I want a rifle. Rifle? Yeah. A big caliber rifle with a silencer attached. Silencer? Yeah. And Logan, look. We'll have to let Bradley and the rest of my shadows in on this, of course. But don't let it go any further. Especially, uh, don't tell Ann Williams about my plan. I'm not to tell Miss Williams. Suppose you tell me about your plan, and now... Well, okay, Brad, here's the old homestead again. To go through our usual routine. Yeah, well, I don't like the routine that's become usual during the last week, Casey. <laughs> you taking a big chance with nobody watching that fire escape between two and three in the morning? I'm watching. But you're not used to handling guns. Well, I can handle a rifle Logan gave me. Also, I've had lots of experience handling crooks. Mm. All I can do is hope you'll be okay. Shark may show up any time now, Casey. Maybe tonight. Yeah, the sooner the better. Williams is losing a lot of sleep. She's got nothing to worry about. She hasn't a fire escape. Well. Come on, Brad. Get out of this car. Come up to my apartment as usual. Look the joint over as usual. Then come back here down to the street as usual. Then you'll turn out your lights as usual. Uh, and I'll seem to be sleeping soundly between 2 and 3 a.m. What if you do fall asleep, Casey? Well, in that case, I... Well, I won't. <laughs> Who's there? Who 
Who's behind that flashlight? Only me, Casey. Chalk. Don't reach for that gun beside your bed. Yes, I won't. Don't. Turn that table lamp on so I can see you in that gun a little better. Okay. Thanks. Well, you look like just the same sap who butts into things he should keep away from. Oh, that gun of yours. Nice high-powered rifle that can make a big hole in a guy. Why the silencer on it? Well, they had the attachment when I got it from the, from the cops. Wasn't that nice? The revolver I brought along has a silencer, too. I always like to use the other fellow's weapon if he has one. If I'm unlucky and fall into a pinch, a good lawyer may convince a jury that the other fellow was uh, a suicide. You, you're going to shoot me with my rifle? Yes, Casey. After I've made sure it's loaded. It is. Now... Don't shock Yellow, aren't you? Afraid to take it? Put down that gun! I'm putting the muzzle against your head. The cops will be sure this was a suicide. It will be if you squeeze that trigger. Your suicide. What do you mean? Look to see if it was loaded. It is. You didn't look to see if the barrel is clear. It isn't. It's been plugged. So the shell in the chamber will blow up the gun. Yeah, this is a bluff. You can't get away with it. It isn't a bluff. Nuts. Take what I came to give you. Snap the trap yourself, Shock. I can't say I'm really sorry. Join the crowd of the Blue Note in just a moment. The baby of today, your baby, has many advantages which most of us didn't enjoy when we were very young. And not the least of these are scientifically prepared baby foods. These baby foods make it easy to provide a nourishing, well-balanced diet. They save the young mother countless hours in the kitchen. But to take full advantage of the convenience of prepared baby food, be sure to insist on glass jars. For with a glass jar, you can heat and serve baby food and reseal it to store leftovers all in the original container, saving endless extra hours of work each week. And then, too, there's the matter of cleanliness. Glass jars are completely sterile. They protect baby food perfectly both before and after opening. Most of the better brands of prepared baby foods are packed in anchor glass jars and sealed under vacuum with easy-to-open, easy-to-reseal anchor caps. Both products of Anchor Hawking. The most famous name in glass. Well, the explosion of that rifle didn't kill the shark, huh, Casey? No, Ethelbert, miraculously enough. The docs will have him patched up for his trial on a Trumbull murder charge, and you'll be able to walk to the hot seat afterwards. But how could you be sure he'd try to shoot you with that rifle instead of his own gun? Look, now, he, he killed Trumbull with Trumbull's own knife, huh? Yeah. Uh-huh. And Clive with Clive's own pistol. Yeah. Uh-huh. Well, that was Shock's murder pattern, don't you think? That's right. Oh, I'm awful glad it's over, Casey. Eh? Oh, my, Annie, I'm sure glad to get rid of that bodyguard. <laughs> No, I'll miss mine. Huh? Miss having a cop at your elbow every minute? Well, my principal guard was nice. I liked him. Yeah? Nice looking, too. You met him. I... Oh, yeah, yeah, I met him, sure. <laughs> of course, I, I won't miss him too much. Oh? Huh? We have a date together this evening. Oh. Have a date, huh? 
with a cop tonight? Mm-hmm. Yeah, but look, Annie, uh, you and I usually go out together every evening. Uh... Oh, but you and I are just pals, Casey. Huh? I said, we're just pals. Oh. Oh, yeah, that, that's right. Yeah. Oh, I must be running along to meet him now. So long, Ethelbert. Hey, so long, Miss Williams. Good night, pal. Good night. <laughs> what are you laughing about? <laughs> pal. <laughs> Nuts. Crime Photographer, starring Stotts Cotsworth as Casey, is written by Alonzo Dean Cole. It is brought to you each Thursday by the Anchor Hawking Glass Corporation, makers of Fire King Oven Glass. Anchor Glass Containers, Anchor Caps and Closures. All products of Anchor Hawking, the most famous name in glass. Photographer is directed by John Deeds and is based on the fictional character of Flash Gun Casey, created by George Harmon Cox. Original music is by Archie Blyer, and the program features Miss Jan Minor as Anne and John Gibson as Ethelbert. Herman Chittison is the Blue Note pianist. If you're a young man from 17 to 31 years of age, the Navy is interested in you, and you'll be interested in the Navy. Well, the Navy offers you training in the most extensive scientific schools in the world, combined with travel and adventure, good pay, financial security, and early retirement. Get in touch with your local Navy recruiting office immediately. This is Tony Marvin saying goodnight for the Anchor Hawking Glass Corporation of Lancaster, Ohio, with offices in all principal cities of the United States and Canada. This is CBS, the Columbia Broadcasting System. Welcome back. Well, we get some interesting discussion about uh, Casey's relationship uh, with Anne. And I think Casey gives a good explanation and a believable one, too, uh, for why he doesn't want to have this relationship ruined. And I think, you know, it makes sense. Uh, but it's clear by the end of the episode, just by the fact that Anne is able to get Casey jealous, that he's got kind of mixed feelings about it. I also have to say that Casey episodes can take up a lot more time in terms of 
the chronology of this episode. I mean, this episode took place over months, and other than, say, Dragnet, most of our stories take place over the course of, you know, hours or a couple days. I also have to say that it doesn't speak well of the police department that over the course of all these months, Shark is able to, you know, pull off all of these attempted murders, and... Uh, nobody actually catches him in case he's got to do it himself. All right, well, listener comments and feedback, and we have this from Heidi uh, commenting on Casey and our previous conversation about imperfections, and we heard a few of those with some coughs in this episode. Heidi writes, everything has to be perfect today. I hate auto-tune. No live bands on CDs. I could go on and on. Must be edited and perfect. I miss a scratch of a guitar string or even the breathing of the singer. Again, I could go on, but you get the point. Well, thanks so much. And Heidi, I think that you're hardly alone in that feeling. In fact, while when I was a teenager, you know, the whole talk of the time was that records were dead and... CDs were going to be the wave of the future. And actually, vinyl has uh, made a comeback to some degree. It's obviously not what it once was, but there's an active market for vinyl records. And a lot of people insist, and I think with some justification, that vinyl just uh, sounds better. And I've even read some stories about people continuing to watch VHS tapes. And a few days ago, there was a story in the Denver paper about a gentleman renting a video rental store in his basement that rents VHSs and even has a return slot for the videos. It's kind of an interesting trend, which I guess kind of counters the trend that you're talking about. And so much of our entertainment uh, industry has kind of focused on the fact that we are getting better and better technology that allows us to create higher quality sound and things like HD video. And it's an interesting and I think multifaceted debate. Because I can totally understand why creators and companies that sell works want to put out the highest quality of recording that they possibly can. And certainly there are a lot of high-end users who will demand that. I think the challenge with many of these tools is recognizing when these certain things aren't imperfections, but actually really essential parts of the art. You don't want to tune out uh, emotion. I think some feelings on these issues also can be driven a little bit by nostalgia. Like, if I'm watching a YouTube video that was transferred from VHS somehow, and I see the little tracking uh, thing come up, that kind of gives me a feeling of nostalgia. For my part, I'm not too terribly picky about most things. Like when I review a TV a DVD release of a program from the 1970s like Canon, and it's a pretty apparent that all they did was transfer the same videos that went out in syndication, I'll let people know that. 
But it really doesn't bother me. I don't expect to get Canon in HD. I don't have an HD TV. And not everything has to be superb high quality sound. Particularly when it comes to golden age radio programs. You give me a fairly clear sounding 32 Mbps recording and I'm going to be pretty happy. You know, as long as the program's good. I can appreciate high quality when I hear it, like when I listen to anything from radio archives, I realize that they are typically pretty far above the typical listening quality that I usually go for. But it doesn't make a huge difference. I'm not nostalgic for a whole lot of old media. I, I kind of mostly missed records when I was growing up. We traveled around a lot, probably until I was... I think about 12, and so record players were not practical at all. If anything, it was the medium of tape, and I was not too nostalgic for tape, either audio or video, just because I tended to have a lot of tapes break or explode or get stuck in the machine. Well, I don't mean literally explode. But if you found yourself buried under, like, you know, 12 or 15 feet of audio tape, you kind of know what I mean. I personally expect that a lot of listeners might share the same thoughts as Hannah. They do listen to this podcast. We had that whole conversation a few weeks back where some people were writing reviews saying we don't edit uh, the recordings at all. We do, but they still have hints of not having been recorded yesterday. And of course, uh, there's my commentary, which no AI could deliver. And I hope no scientist ever gets the idea to program one who would speak like me. But again, thanks so much for the uh, comment, Hannah. I appreciate your thoughts and a good uh, topic. And uh, we have a note from uh, Tracy. I've been listening for six years now and still loving every minute. Your voice is often the first one I hear in the morning, but I do start work at 5.30. I hope you do this for many years to come. Your commentary is what makes it extra special. Uh, well, thank you so much, Tracy. I appreciate your kind words. And it's interesting to know people are listening to me before I'm even awake. And uh, then uh, also have this note from uh, David, who writes, Hi, Adam, I always enjoy uh, your rendition of the great detective shows. And your commentary is insightful. I'm amazed at how dedicated you are to editing and recording the shows and the discipline to maintain a broadcast schedule. Uh, congratulations on the announcement of the new baby. Well, thank you so much, David. Thanks, uh, of course, as always, to Andrew Rhines, who uh, takes care of the editing for me. And uh, now it's time to thank our Patreon supporter of the day. Thank you to Richard, Patreon supporter since March of 2020, currently supporting the show at the shameless level of $4 or more per month. Again, thanks so much for your support, Richard. And that will do it for today. If you are enjoying this podcast, be sure to rate and review wherever you download your podcast from. We'll be back next week with another episode of Casey Crime Photographer. But coming up tomorrow, we're going to bring you Jeff Regan, where... My name's Regan. I work for Anthony J. Lyon Detective Bureau. They call me the Lion's Eye. 
Jeff Regan, investigator, starring Frank Graham as Regan with Frank Nelson as Anthony J. Lyon. So stand by for mystery and suspense and adventure in tonight's story of The Barefoot Boy with Shoes, Gone. There were three women in it, three guys, and seven cats. It figured for an easy trace job. All I had to do was find a missing guy named Thaddeus Mink, a painter. Only before it was over, a couple of people turned up dead. And what made me think maybe I was trailing a killer with a screw loose was what happened to those seven cats. The thing teed off for me when a letter came to the Lion Detective Bureau in the morning mail. My boss, the Lion, opened it. You could see the dollar signs in his eyes. Ah, Jeffrey. Well, well, look here. That rich uncle of yours finally kick off? What do you mean? You look so happy. Oh, it's not that. Jeffrey, listen to this. Uh, the Ezra Park Duffield Art Galleries, Pasadena, from the sanctum of E.P. Duffield. Already I don't like oh, it. Oh, now, 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 Jeffrey. Mr. Duffield encloses his personal check for $50. For which we do what? Uh, yes, well, uh, <clears throat> now let me see. No, we find a missing person, Jeffrey. A man by the name of Mink, Thaddeus Mink, a painter. Uh, Mr. Duffield says uh, we'll be doing an uh, an inestimable service to the world of art. Duffield say why he doesn't go to the cops? Well, he does mention that he has personal reasons for maintaining secrecy. They all say. I hope you'll be with us then. In the meantime, do send your comments to box13 at greatdetectives.net. Follow us on Twitter at Radio Detectives and become one of our friends on Facebook, facebook.com slash radiodetectives from Boise, Idaho. This is your host, Adam Graham, signing off.